Today's episode is sponsored by the American Chemistry Council. Chemistry creates, America competes. Hey, welcome back to Politico Tech. Today is Monday, October 2nd. I'm Stephen Overly. The European Union has become the world's de facto tech regulator. And soon, it's going to set global standards again with artificial intelligence. EU officials aim to put new AI rules in place by the end of the year. And the latest round of negotiations to make that happen are underway today. But there are still thorny issues to work out, like how to regulate foundational models and whether law enforcement can use facial recognition and other AI technology. EU parliamentarian Dragos Todrake has been at the helm of the EU AI Act since its conception and remains a central figure in the ongoing negotiations. He's also trying to build a transatlantic AI alliance, having recently visited Washington to talk about AI with U.S. lawmakers who are weighing rules of their own. On Politico Tech today, he shares the advice he imparted on his American counterparts, who are several years behind the EU, on how to get caught up. Obviously, here in the U.S., lawmakers are just now starting to think about what AI legislation might look like. I wonder if, based on your experience, there's any advice that you've been sharing with, you know, U.S. counterparts as they're starting to think about this. I was recently in Washington, in fact, and exchanged views with with many lawmakers on the Hill, both Senate and House, who are now very active on on AI, and, and I was very happy to do so. And I commend them for their work. I'm very happy compared to previous visits. And I'm very happy to see that now there is a, as a true sense of urgency and purpose on this, which uh, I think is, is evident. And I think that the process that has, been, that has been started is the right way to do it. Because we also, people have only seen the later part, the later manifestation of our work, uh, but we haven't jumped to regulation out of the blue. Uh, we didn't just wake up one morning and said, well, let's regulate AI. No, we had actually gone through quite a long period of of reflection, only that we started earlier. It is in 2017, 2018, that the European Commission put forward for the first time a set of principles on AI after a high-level expert group that had been tossing and turning these elements uh, for, for quite some time. 2017, 2018. In 2019, at the start of this political cycle, In the first inaugural speech in front of this house, the commission president said, I will come forward with legislation in the first 100 days. We said, stop. Don't do that. Better take your time, reflect, consult. That's what they did. They issued a white uh, white paper. On the basis of white paper, nine months of consultation with all stakeholders, industry, civil society, academia, researchers, everyone. We in parliament then said, okay, we are going to be called upon to legislate soon. Are we feeling ready as politicians? No, we're not. It is too complex an issue. We need to understand what it is that, that, that we're going to legislate on. So 2019, I proposed to the lead, leadership of the House the creation of a special committee on AI. We had it in early 2020. I chaired that committee. For one and a half, we went and organized hearings in every aspect of AI and its impact on society, economy, politics, geopolitics, space, uh, whatever. <laughs> so, uh, and then we came to legislation. So if I look at what happens right now in, 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 in Washington, I think that this exercise of organizing forums, discussing with industry, my advice was 
also enlarge a bit the, the scope of the consultations. I think you need to hear as many actors in society as possible. Uh, gather all of those views, understand the complexity of the phenomena, the implications in every possible walk of life, and then, then you will start a bit naturally to, to get to the responses to the question, how? But I think that how will only be solved after serious deliberations. So I think uh, this process is now started. Let's see how long it takes. Were there voices that you encouraged them to bring into the conversation or that you found helpful in your own efforts there in the EU? My advice was, is, and will remain, uh, be as broad as possible. There might be a temptation uh, because they are much more available. They are at your fingertips. The big industry is mostly predominantly in the U.S. rather than on the EU. So it is much easier for the uh, U.S. lawmaker to have an easy access to the top levels of the big industry. That is an advantage that I think the U.S. Uh, lawmakers can, can make good use of. But at the same time, the discussion should not only be kept there. Uh, it is important to get the views of the industry because they are the ones who are developing these technologies. They are the ones who know the ins and outs of the technology the best. But they are also inevitably, inherently subjective bring in as many voices that would be counterbalancing that view, not only in terms of, of implications, consequences, and risks, but also on the solutions that you require to mitigate those, those risks and concerns. If you're only listening to those that are creating the risk, telling you how they, they could solve them, there might be a skewed uh, view of what the possible solutions might be. I hear what you said earlier about, you know, on this visit to Washington, it seemed like there was now a sense of urgency around AI and, and much more interest in AI. I do wonder, though, if you're at all concerned that the U.S. seems to be where Europe was, you know, three, four, five years ago when it comes to AI. And are you concerned that the U.S. is just not farther along in this process? Uh, I won't make that comparison. Um, it, it's true that there has been, a, let's say, a, a later start than, than we had. That is evident. It's, it's, it's fact. But I think that when there is a will, there is a way. Again, if there is political will and political space, because that's the, also the other conversation. I mean, it's, it, it's enough to look at what is going on right now in Congress. I'm, I'm not a, I don't necessarily comment too much on internal American politics, but again, one looks at, the, uh, at, at how things can get easily blocked bipartisanship in the capital, and then nothing goes through. I did feel, however, uh, in all of my conversations across the aisle, that this topic does have bipartisan support. My recommendation was also, speaking of the sense of urgency, to take advantage of this bipartisanship and try and move it rather quickly along because things can also become ideological about AI, and that could then afterwards off-road a bit the, the, the debate and risk making it partisan also. I think things can be sped along. There are, it's true that there are elections in autumn of next year, which, which may complicate things, but I don't think it is inconceivable that there would be the first, that we could see the first drafts of bills on, on AI, in fact, rather early. Was, was there a lawmaker you met with who you thought you, you saw eye to eye with in particular or, or shared a lot of your views on, on AI? 
quite a number of them. Uh, again, I, I've been really, really encouraged in, in the conversations that I had with the uh, members of the big four, as they call themselves in, in, in Senate. I had very good discussions with Senator Rounds, very good discussions with, with Senator Young uh, on these issues. Uh, also, this very good discussions in, in the House. Um, so, uh, uh, again, it's, there is a distinct, uh, a distinct uh, change in terms of attention, focus and understanding of the issue. Um, and um, honestly, in, in those conversations, I haven't picked up any, um, any element of, of content that, that was not part of the debate that we have or that we still have in Europe ourselves. So many of the questions even open questions that right now uh, some of these uh, lawmakers have, they are absolutely uh, the same questions that we asked ourselves, uh, including how and why. Should we go sector by sector or should we go horizontal? Uh, if I have to go sector by sector, what do I do with the existing legislation? Do I embed some rules in the existing legislation or in the case on how U.S. is working uh, administration in the existing mandates for some of the federal agencies that you have? Do you just include some rules there? So ultimately, the, the method, as long as the overall objective and the net effect of what is being uh, produced is one that puts clear rules and, and, and standards of how the uh, technology can be further developed, whether it's being done in a horizontal piece of legislating like we're doing it right now, or in several bills that would be modifying the mandates for federal structures in the U.S. administration, the net effect can easily be the same. So it sounds like you're saying, you know, because some of the questions are the same and the values are the same, you know, between the U.S. and the EU, whether the outcome is is identical or not may not matter so much. Is I, that, exactly. Am I hearing that right? Exactly. Uh, so uh, I think we can take for a fact that the, 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 the final products might look different in terms of how one or a series of bills on the U.S. might look like versus the EU Act. But I am convinced that we can make sure that, the, that, that we get that functional equivalence between the two normative regimes that we'll end up with. And I think that's also something that would be good for, for the companies on both sides of the Atlantic. And that's what we want. It would be good also for our citizens accessing, using these technologies in the same way. Well, so let me ask just a follow-up question on that, which if you zoom out and you think about the idea of setting some global standards around AI, which is being talked about in, in many different forms, do those different approaches then become an issue at that level? Because if you think about privacy, if you think about some of these other um, approaches to regulating tech, you know, the fact that you have these different models, these different regulatory approaches has been an issue when it comes to trying to set global standards. And mm -hmm. I, I guess I wonder if we're headed down the same road with AI. Well, because you mentioned privacy, I think this is the one example that we should try to learn from uh, and avoid from happening. The fact that we ended up with privacy, with EU having a hard law on one hand and nothing on the US side on the other, okay, some scattered uh, state legislation, but nothing at federal level, that created a disparity with the net effect of, of uncertainty of doing business on both sides of the Atlantic when it comes to data economy. And I think, again, that's a recipe of how not to do it, of how not to do business between partners. So uh, I think that if we are to learn something from the privacy framework, 
and I think we can learn a few lessons. I think it is indeed that we 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 have a bit of a collective duty to do our utmost again while accepting the diversity between the approaches that we will take, because we are in two different legal systems and contexts. But while accepting the diversity to to try and have that sort of a functional equivalence that would allow afterwards for us to be coherent, and that would also then replicate and send a very clear message to the global. Uh, community out there who does also need to come together around a common framework. Uh, but that framework will be a much looser, inevitably, will be a much looser framework. Uh, such such framework can only be around principles, around uh, commitments. It's very hard to make hard law at that level, at that global level. But it is important right. also to have an alignment on the values that you want to protect. My only follow-up question for you on that, and it's sort of the natural extension that we always go to on these tech issues, and that's the China question. How important is it to you that the U.S. and EU are aligned, that they do have some sort of complementary regulation in order to create a counterweight to China's own approach to AI, you know, especially in these global forums? Very simple. It is absolutely essential. So having this convergence is, of course, important as setting an example for the other like-minded partners and helping them to come around a common place. But at the same time, it is important as a message towards China and others who might be inclined to look at, at the value of technology in democracies in the same way as China does. Uh, well, China does not have a democracy and it uses technology to control society. That's a fundamental difference between our vision of what AI is and should be and what China's vision is. So clearly, those visions are hard to make compatible, but there is a but here. Uh, the technology ultimately is the same. Uh, the same in Beijing, the same in, in Washington, or in Brussels. So uh, having a dialogue with China on this is also inevitable. But before we engage in that dialogue with China, I think it is important that we first uh, make sure that we are truly aligned ourselves, that we have ourselves a, a solidified uh, common understanding of how we want to deal with it. Because if we, the, the, the best gift that we can make to China is that we would somehow remain ourselves competitors in the way we, we, uh, uh, we approach this. We'll be right back. The Biden administration is moving forward with a slew of new regulations that put products like semiconductors, electric vehicles, modern healthcare technology, and clean energy at risk. Chemistry is essential to our modern lives, creating products to help foster a more sustainable and competitive future. The Biden administration must change its course and work with manufacturers on science-based policies that protect American innovation. Learn more at chemistrycreates.org. So the EU is in negotiations now over its own AI law, and there's a proposal on the table that's been criticized for the way it handles AI that's defined as high risk and therefore subject to stricter rules. I mean, essentially, there's been criticism that the EU is creating loopholes for AI companies to get out of oversight. What do you make of that criticism? Are loopholes being created now in the final negotiations? So, number one, I don't think that there were loopholes in the text itself. We had deliberately uh, tried to 
by introducing us in Parliament what we call the threshold or a test for uh, high-risk applications to actually narrow down the field of application of the text to only those uh, use cases that would actually warrant a significant risk to the life, safety, health of humans to make sure that we don't stifle or put barriers to innovation where we don't have to. That is why in Parliament we uh, conceived this threshold, this, this, this test with a significant risk, and also we conceived the mechanism behind it as to how, uh, how that could then uh, unfold in terms of practical applicability, practical implementation. Some, some indeed consider that we created a loophole uh, in the way we have allowed companies to self-assess uh, as a way of determining whether they are passing the threshold or not, with then an obligation of notification towards uh, authorities. I don't consider that to be a loophole. We have deliberately done it in that way to lower, again, as a way to, to balance out between the interest to protect and the interest to innovate, which is something that has always been at the center of our preoccupation in drafting this text, this balance between innovation and, and safeguards. In any case, uh, this provision, Article 6, and the regime and the mechanism for, for determining high risk is something that is being discussed as we speak. And I do not uh, exclude that there might be some uh, adaptations to, to that mechanism uh, with the idea to make it even clearer. Ultimately, that's, that's the, the one thing we, we want, uh, that we have clarity of norm and, uh, and that everyone is... is comfortable with, uh, with the mechanism that we, we put forward. One of the things I think is so fascinating about regulating AI in particular is that it's such a fast-moving technology. And so even, you know, if you think about generative AI, for instance, right, it, it wasn't as sophisticated as it is today back when you first drafted the EU AI Act. Do you envision, as it's written, that the, the law will do enough to address generative AI? Are you already looking at any potential updates that might be needed to it as this technology has continued to evolve? Well, two, two points here to make. Uh, the first point is that I think with any lawmaking uh, that, that one does, the essential point is not to try to regulate the phenomenon itself that you're trying to, to address in a piece of legislation, whether it's social, economic, or, or of other nature, but rather the, the essential elements of, of it which remain stable as the phenomenon evolves in time. And I'm, I'm a lawyer by profession. I, I, I was a judge uh, at some earlier point in my career. And as a judge, I would work with pieces of legislation that are over 100 years old. And we have, in all of our legal systems, um, in the US, in the EU, we have legislation that is more than 100 years old that deals with uh, social or economic or, or life societal phenomena that have morphed and evolved a million times since the creation of that piece of law. And still, the obligations, the rights created under that law, they still survive and they are still applicable and they are still being used and, uh, by, by courts or, or authorities to enforce the law. What I'm trying to say is that what we have also tried to do with this law is to extract those obligations that we thought are stable, first of all, that are most relevant because we have also deliberately tried to keep these rules as light touch as possible, 
so that even if the technology evolves, those obligations would remain stable. And I will take a few examples. Let's take transparency. Transparency for the data sets that you use in training the algorithm would remain the same now, two years' time, even if we're going to have ChatGPT 20, uh, much more complex, uh, much more sophisticated in the way it reasons and in the kind of products that, that it delivers, the obligation to be transparent about the data sets that you use to train remains the same. Uh, same thing for data accuracy, same thing for explainability. So, in fact, the obligations that we are putting forward in these texts, that's what I'm, say, that's what I'm trying to say, they, they are pretty stable. We have deliberately uh, configured them in a way that they would remain applicable even if the technology will continue to evolve. So that's part one of the answer. Part two of the answer, of course, we also realize and recognize that there are some parts of the text where we do include more descriptions of the technical manifestation of an application, for example, where we explain the use cases that are high risk. Well, those will certainly evolve. Uh, and also the whole categorization in, in one category or another may also evolve, depending on how we see new risks emerging or some risks, in fact, not manifesting themselves at all. So those parts, we have deliberately put them in, in sections of the text that we can very quickly and easily afterwards adapt. The, we have a procedure under our system, which is called Covitology, where we can do it within six months with way less uh, complexity in terms of legislative process than what we have when we adopt the initial text. It's, it's kind of by law, it's secondary legislation that we can do to adapt and, and, and uh, keep those parts of the text flexible and in sync with the evolution of technology. Excellent. Well, a lot of um, important issues that I know are still being worked out. Thank you so much for joining us on Politico Tech. You're very welcome. Thank you. That's all for today's Politico Tech. By the way, Saturday was International Podcast Day. If you're enjoying Politico Tech, I hope you'll recommend it to a friend or colleague. And for more tech news, subscribe to our newsletters, Digital Future Daily and Morning Tech. Music in today's episode comes from the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Our senior producer is Annie Reese. Our editors are Steve Heuser, Daniela Cheslow, and Louisa Savage. I'm Stephen Overly. I'll see you here tomorrow. <laughs>